is available today. I'm going to ask you to do something. I'm going to ask you right now to suspend any judgment you might have, preconceived notions, presuppositions about God, about Jesus Christ, about church, about this specific church, or anything whatsoever. And for now, to the end of this service, to let this be holy ground. If it already is holy ground for you, to let it be transforming holy ground. That everywhere your feet touch is holy. That it's a place for now that you know God will reach you and that He can. Would you do that this morning? And would you seek God as Jeremiah so strongly suggests us in the 29th chapter while He may be found? I believe that God transforms lives on holy ground. Have you been to holy ground before? Did you know in life there are different levels of communication? I I love to share this with people about the different levels or four levels of communication people have. The first one's chit-chat. Chit-chat is basically, hey, how you doing? Nice to see you. It's something you would converse with anybody. Passerby on the street, hi, good morning, Merry Christmas. And they say the same thing as chit-chat. There's no depth to it. There isn't any required uh, engagement other than you too, or uh, thank you, you as well, or I'm fine, how are you? And then we move on with our day. It is not anything that engages us at any deep level. The second level of conversation is called conversation. That's where you begin to have, how's your family? How are your friends? How are things going? And you begin to develop a little bit of a relationship there. That level of communication called conversation has a deeper aspect and some familiarity with the person, wouldn't you say? It's mostly where we have our daily lives at work, um, amongst all our friends and family. It's generally just conversation. It isn't super depth. You're not trying to go down into some deep Uh, resolvable things. You're just going through the day and having conversations like life is going forward. Then the third level, and this is where it it gets a little heavier, it's called counseling. There are some of us who know intimately what counseling is all about. It's where we engage at a deeper level to try and resolve things and, and intentionally seek out hope and answers and help in situations, be they crisis or just a tune-up. And as you know, I would be amiss as a pastor to tell you that counseling is bad. I would be amiss to also tell you that you don't need to do it. What I would be also amiss is if I didn't tell you you need to on a regular basis to make sure your brain's going the right direction. It's a tune-up. You go to the doctor once a year for a physical. It's okay to see a counselor once a year just to make sure you're, you're thinking the right way got the plans and hopes and dreams and all your expectations all lined up properly. That's a very powerful thing that you can do for your life. And a lot of people think, well, if you're going to see a counselor, there must be something wrong with you. Actually, there's something right with you. Because it means you want a better life and you want to make sure you're going in the right direction. A counselor helps you do that. And that's a very powerful thing. Now, there's a dip, the last level of conversation. First was chit-chat then conversation or communication, if you will, and then counseling. And the fourth one is one I mentioned just a moment ago. It's called holy ground. Holy ground is a place where you sense that there's a movement from God happening. 
you can't really understand it. But even in times of counseling, it doesn't go there all the time. There's just a deeper level of conversation. But when something happens and you notice there's a transforming moment, that's called holy ground. It's where when you get out of that, you know you won't be the same anymore. That you have a moment in your life you can look back to and say, I remember that. It's like Moses at the burning bush when he said, I remember that. I will never forget that. He told me to take my shoes off because I'm standing on holy ground. God told me that. And He said after that, He went to Egypt. Back to Egypt. For the last time. (laughs) Thank the Lord. And as He went back, He realized He had an encounter with God and Moses would no longer be the runaway from Egypt, but the leader of a nation because of that moment. He didn't know what that would look like. If he had seen out 30, 40 years wandering in the wilderness later, he'd probably say, I didn't sign up for this. I didn't want to stare down Pharaoh on ten plagues. I didn't want to do that. I thought he'd do it after the first one or the second one. And this is going to be God doing it and we'll get out of here and we'll have it done. But it took time. And when God calls you to something, He's going to bring you to a place where you finally break before Him and say, not mine, but your will be done. That's holy ground when that happens for you. Some others may be in the exact same place at the exact same time and not feel a thing. Not experience a transformation. Fanny Crosby once said, Savior, Savior, hear my humble cry. While on others thou art calling, making holy ground, do not pass me by. And that's the prayer I'm asking that you would do, that this would be holy ground like that. If you have your mind made up, it's hard to change it. It really is. But as Titus says, the grace of God that it brings salvation has appeared and it appears on holy ground. And it appears on unholy ground. The grace of God appears where Jesus is. The grace of God is for all. Never think that there's someone who doesn't need grace or that God doesn't offer to that person. They always do, including me and including you. And it says in verse 12 that this grace appeared teaching us. Oh, did you know grace isn't just for salvation? It provides salvation. We are saved by grace through faith, but it also teaches us something. And that's something that grace teaches us is that we deny ungodliness and worldly lusts. Those are the things that get on the mirror that reflect the light. The ungodliness in our lives and worldly lusts. Worldly lusts, you know, to break that down is self-will. I want what I want regardless of what God wants. I'm going to do this because I feel like I should or I did this because of this. We justify a lot of things for a lot of different reasons. We really do. Did you know, you probably know this, but pointing it out probably makes you go, why did you have to tell me that? Did you know you can justify your actions, but others who do the same thing, it's inexcusable? Did you know that? That's generally how it works. That was inexcusable, but I did it and it was justifiable. But that 
self-minded thinking, as I tend to call that, is when we begin to put ourselves in a position where we're trying to make ourselves look better in our own eyes for one reason. So we do not have to change. It stagnates and stunts our growth when we do that. The grace of God teaches us that we need to deny ungodliness and worldly lessons because of those things which have infiltrated our lives that we needed the grace to begin with. The grace of God through the blood of Jesus Christ covers all sin. And sin is ungodliness and worldly lust. It teaches us to start denying that. It doesn't mean like this. No, I didn't do that. Oh, I didn't, I've never sinned. No, I would never lie. I would never uh, steal. No, that doesn't mean deny that way. It means to let go of. Do, to deny them access into your life. Not to deny that they were there or that they are. And so it teaches us that. And because we learn that, and when we do, it then says we need to live soberly and righteously before God. Well, doesn't that make sense? If we're trying to follow God, that we would live righteously before Him. But here's the problem. Righteousness we can't do. We are born into sin. We have a law within us that we want to do right. Evil's at the door knocking and saying, you're going to do this. In Romans chapter 7, it says, I find this law at work in me. When I want to do good, evil's right there telling me to do something different. It's a law. So whenever you desire to live for God, know that there's a law saying evil's ready to, for you to take that direction instead. We're in a battle between wanting to do good and the evil and the sin which easily, says Hebrews chapter 12 we talked about last week, so easily besets us. And it does it easily because it's familiar. <laughs> Grace and the way God called us to walk is not so easy because it's not as familiar. And it's also not natural. It's supernatural. Which is why you can't live a life of grace with the love of Jesus Christ and light shining out unless you have a relationship with Him supernaturally founded on the blood of Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit. And so it says we need to live soberly, righteous, and godly. And by sober, it doesn't just mean to refrain from chemicals that alter your mind. By sober, it means to think no higher or lower of yourself than what you are. And no lower of God than what He is. And in this process, and this is where we begin to look at what this lineage or lineage of Christ is all about, is that we are born into a family as children of God. I am so thankful that when the song by Bill Gaither came out about that, said, I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I'm so glad I'm a child of God. I'm glad that he didn't write, I'm an adult of God. Mm-hmm. Or a teenager. Or a, um, a tweener. Or a young adult. Or a toddler. I'm a child of God. Which means what? He's the Father. I'm the child. 
And I have to learn from my father how to become mature and to grow up into the full stature of Christ, which would be an adult of God. Sounds funny, doesn't it? You're an adult of God. It doesn't sound right at all. But the truth is, God is growing us incrementally from child to more mature, to more mature as you become older in Christ. And so we are to live soberly, not thinking less of ourselves, less of God, not more of ourselves, or more of God in the wrong way, but in the right way. And here's the one thing that you may need to know today. When you belong to Jesus Christ, you're in His lineage. I don't know how to say that other than to say, when you belong to Jesus Christ, you belong to the Heavenly Father, you're in the family. You are in the line of David, if you will. And it's not because you earned it. It's by grace which teaches you that this invitation has welcomed you in on God's terms. Whose family is it? God's. Whose family were we not a part of without Jesus? God's. We weren't a part of God's family. Ephesians 2 says we were orphans. A lot of people say, oh, I was an orphan. I know who my parents are. But you're orphaned without God. You're not in His family, which is the ultimate family. And we need to be a part of that family. And so we must live soberly, thinking properly about who we are in relationship to Jesus Christ and to the Heavenly Father. Knowing that we are in a lineage with the right and privilege and responsibilities of what Jesus has. The only thing different is we're not asked to go to Calvary for the world. We're asked to bear our cross daily and live our lives for God. To mind the light that He has placed within us. Are we doing that? Are you doing that? Do you know how? Are you doing it on your own willpower? Or are you asking for help? I'll tell you the worst problem I have as ministers for getting to pray and ask God for help when I think I can do it myself. Seriously. I'll be looking for something for 30 minutes before I finally say, God, where is this thing? And then it'll show up right away. And I say, God, I don't, I don't know uh, if I wouldn't have asked you if it would have showed up right away or not, but it hadn't in the 30 minutes previous. It's always like that. Or whenever I'm in, in pain or hurting, I'm going, what do I... Oh, Advil. Ah, ice pack. Heating pack. Hot, hot tub. Those are the solutions. And eventually, if it sticks around long enough, I say, maybe I'll ask God about this. Why is it those other things have replaced what's first? If we're in pain, hurting, seek the Father. By all means, do the right thing properly medically, but seek the Father first, even as you're doing the others. Do we do that? Do we esteem the Father in all we do? And the answer to that is no, we do not. And, and I ask you to suspend yourself some judgment this morning and, and misconceptions and presuppositions. That's one of them that you're not going to want to receive. 
No, you do not always do or esteem the Father in all that you do. If you think you do, please understand you haven't looked in your mirror lately and told yourself the truth. And why are we doing this in verse 13? It says, we're looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. We're looking with hope for His glorious appearing. Let me tell you something. This isn't talking about end times necessarily. It's talking about holy ground appearance. I hope for God to come one day through Jesus Christ in His great return in His final victory and glory. But I need Him in holy ground. I need Him to appear in my life today some days. And some days I need Him to just touch me and say, I'm here. I am with you. Um, that gives me hope and reminds me that He hasn't forgotten me. We need those experiences with God so that when He does finally appear, we say, I know you. I've been with you before and you've been with me. It's the same person. And we're looking for Him who gave Himself for us. And here's the lineage. That He might redeem us from every lawless deed. That's the ungodliness, worldly lusts. Redeem us from them and purify for Himself us as His people. He's cleaning you up for Himself, not so you look good to others. Here's one of the most difficult struggles we have in, in the faith, at least from my perception, is that we think about what others think of us while we're doing things for God rather than thinking about God while we're doing those things. Here's how we say it sometimes, and it sounds good, but it's again, justification. Oh, I'd sing loud and proud, but you don't want to hear that. It's a noise. It sounds joyful, but it's still a noise. I sound like a banging drum when I sing. I've heard people say all this. And so we reason that we don't have to worship in song, in corporate worship, for those reasons. And I'm not telling you, hey, you're messing up. What I'm telling you is that if you're not, it's because you're self-conscious rather than God-conscious. If you're trying to please God, sing to Him. He doesn't care what you sound like. He already knows. He's heard you. He gave you the voice you do or do not have. He's not concerned about if you sing. He's concerned about when you sing. You sing to Him. When you work, you work unto Him. I have, I've been working on this and God's working on me. And, and, and if you really, really, really want to see God show up in your life, Amen. pray while you drive. <laughs> I am... Absolutely serious about this. I pray when I drive and someone cuts me off or goes around me or tailgates. Uh, of course, those are my favorite activities for people to do to me. To violate boundaries while I'm driving and they drive like they have no sense and sometimes I do. And so I started praying. And now when someone cuts me off, I'm going, Lord, I, I know You love them. 
And help me to love Him like You do. Amen. I don't get mad when I pray. I feel compassion. But if I'm a long way away from my prayer closet and I haven't prayed in a while or studied His Word or haven't kept the mirrors clean, it's on. A friend of mine used to say, it's on like Donkey Kong. You've heard that before, huh? Yeah, it basically means it's going to be some problem here. It's not going to be pretty and you don't want to see it broadcast on the screen on Sunday morning. For any reason. But what I'm trying to share with you is if you're praying and seeking God's heart in your car's holy ground, God can transform you in that moment. I, I don't even know how to explain this real well other than to use an example from the bus this week. I've had some really difficult behavioral children. I'm going to call them children because they're not adults. And I have to remind myself, testosterone, levels are high, they don't think abstractly, they only think about what's here and now, what other people think is important. And I'm telling myself all this, but it still doesn't make me enjoy when they start doing stupid stuff. Things that are dangerous or harmful to themselves or others. And so on a particular day this week, I said, maybe if I pray while I'm driving the shuttle high school boys, I'll treat them different. I'll see them different. Maybe they'll respond different. And maybe the Holy Spirit will be on the bus and they won't do all the stuff that the Holy Spirit doesn't like. Either way, I'm going to talk to God. So I'm driving and praying and all of a sudden they're starting to act up and I'm going, Lord, I love those boys. So do you. You love them. God, I just want You to, through me, show them Your love today. Use me right now for that. And I started smiling. This scowl that was on my face dropped. I could see it because I look in the mirror a lot and I see them and me. And I saw my face brighten. And I said, is it possible they're responding to my face with a scowl rather than a smile? It's hard to read love on a scowl, isn't it? It's hard to feel like you're uh, getting approval from someone who's supposed to be an authority over you if you look like you're not happy. Hard to do. And so I started smiling and they, they started doing something and one kid, I can't remember exactly what he did, but I, I laughed out loud. And all the kids in the back are doing all this go, the bus driver's laughing! That's cool! And they all started laughing instead of fighting and arguing. And the whole trip they were laughing and cutting up because it eased the tension. But I relaxed rather than being tense. Keith doesn't know anything about that, do you? Behavioral issues on a bus. You know, you, you, uh, nor does Diane. Diane, you don't know anything about that. Probably one of the reasons you almost quit 20 times a year. I can relate. But why, why am I saying this? Because if you don't want to be the light, you won't be. And if you want to be, you can't do it without God's help. It's simple, but it's difficult. But if we're not in prayer and seeking our Father and our brother, Jesus Christ, because we're in His lineage, how are we going to connect? 
And if we aren't going to make everywhere we are holy ground, how can it be? Now let me, let me share something with you. And this is so, so powerful to me. That where you go, God goes. God goes with you. He promised He would never leave you or forsake you. So that means every second of your life can be holy ground for somebody else. Just like it was for you when you came to it. You can be holy ground because you brought God with you. But if you're exalting self-interest and shining the dark light, if you will, or a dimmer light because you're not connected in the lineage of which you are, you begin to think it's about you and what you do rather than what God's trying to do and He makes it holy ground. Not you. Transformation comes when God appears. We're looking for that hope. And we hope against hope, says Paul, for that moment to happen in our daily lives. Not just the end of time. And that He would redeem us to be His people. I've been around people who are so connected with God, it made me feel like repenting just talking to them. One of my best friends in high school got to see her about every six months or so at a conference, a Christian conference. Would write me a letter every now and then. And I'd read the letter and I'd have to go memorize some more verses and pray and submit some more things to God. And it wasn't because she was trying to tell me stuff. It's because she was saying, this is what God's showing me. And she hungered for more. And as we learn in Psalm 42, the depth of God in someone else, when they're sharing that with you, makes you want more God. And so He wants to redeem us and purify us for Himself not only that we would be holy ground and His own special people, but they would be zealous for good works. Some people talk about the Christmas spirit at this time of year. I think they mean that's the spirit of giving and not expecting anything in return. I have a different take on that. I think the Holy Spirit of God within us brings us great joy when we love without reserve. There's a time when we go, boy, this is going to cost a lot. (laughs) But wait a minute. I don't have to get that. I can get something else. And then I can bless this person and this person. I can bless that person. And I can continue to bless others. And all of a sudden you get the idea that you can bless. And you can give. And your giving matters in someone else's life. That what you do helps another. Do you understand what I mean by that? To me, if what I have to give, I can give freely, there's no restriction on love. But if you give to get, what good is that? We're zealous for good works. The word good here is the good that God is. There's two words called good in the Bible. One is agios, which is a godly good. It comes from the, the word agape comes from that. It's a godly good. 
Then there's the other kind of good, like good job. You know, fine. Uh, done well. But there's a godly good, a, a, a work that is shown clearly done and wrought in God, and that's the kind of work He's done. Be zealous for godly work in your life. Be zealous for God to work through you in the world around you. In other words, be excited that God gets to use you. Be excited that God is using you to bring others to holy ground. He will if you let Him. He will. Why? Because God's job is to create a people for Himself, reconciling the world to Himself through Jesus Christ, and we are ambassadors for Him. That's our task. If you knew God was calling you to something that was bigger than you, which He always does, it's always bigger than you, what would you be willing to do if you knew you would not fail? Could not fail and would succeed beyond your wildest expectations? What would you do? And here's a better question. If God asked you to do something really extreme and radical, what would you not do for God? Today we light the first Advent candle. It's a beginning. Today can be a beginning again for you. Do you know what the job of light is? Anybody ever thought about that? Have you ever? It's to remove the darkness. We live in a darkened world almost blind to the point of complete spiritually. All these things that are promoted this time of year and all the stories about how you need to do this and take on debt to make our economy grow. But what I want to know is, are you taking on the light? Are you shining God's light in the darkness? Are you willing to? Are you willing to mind the light? Hmm. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Amen? John 3.16 tells us that. Scripture also records and tells us that we are firstborn with Him. That we are children of God, His children, co-rulers, priests, heirs, joint heirs with Jesus in this family. In the lineage, all that Jesus has, as I said earlier, except for bearing the cross of Calvary, is ours when we belong. For some reason, and I'm not sure why, but the church has gotten into this mentality that we don't have enough. That God can't provide. That it's all about what you can see and touch and feel rather than what God is and who He is and how to live in response to that. Somewhere we've lost that. And so we're trying to make it about what we do and don't do, who's doing what and not doing what. When we look at the externals, 
And God's saying, mind the light. He's not saying, look at the externals and who's doing what or not doing, but rather, shine the light. Do you understand? Our task, it's all it is, is to shine the light. There's nowhere in it's going, well, they're not, that's not shining the light. But I can't, that's not shining the light. God says you are the light, so shine. You're the lineage of Jesus Christ, His light is within you. You belong to the family. Go shine. The Advent candle lit today says it has already started at the birth of Jesus Christ. It was finished on Calvary in the resurrection and anointed by the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost so that you can do this. There is no reason for you to do anything in your life but shine the light. And yet everything we do to justify that Tarnishes the mirror. So mind the light, not the tarnishing of the mirror, but keep the mirror spotless by minding the light. This morning we're going to do communion together. I say do, participate, partake, enjoy it. I pray you enjoy communion this morning. Communion is about your relationship with Jesus Christ. It's quite simply, in my understanding, holy ground. If you don't believe the body and the blood of Jesus Christ is in the elements, you won't experience holy ground. you won't experience the connection that He's trying to transform you to be more and more like Jesus and less and less like your old self. He's recreating us brand new. I'm so thankful. We're going to talk about this next Sunday, but I'm so thankful that God didn't say, no, you messed up. No, sorry. God calls us worthy because of His Son, not because of us. He calls us to the communion table because of what Jesus did, not because of our value and worth. And I promise you, in God's eyes, you have infinite value. But that isn't why He calls you to the table. He calls you to the table to remind you that while you did not have any righteousness, He loved you then. Your light was dark. Your life was dark without Jesus. And you needed a light to shine on you, to show you the darkness that you were living in. That light was the light of Jesus Christ. And if He's willing to do that for you and calls you to communion to remember what He's done for you, then wouldn't it make complete sense that you would do the same for others. Shining light. Not looking at darkness, but shining light. That's what the lineage of Jesus Christ is all about and how you know the difference. You will know them by their love for one another. Would you pray with me?